Well, welcome and thank you for listening here to the Ethan Callison Sermons Podcast. I am Ethan Callison and uh, you're actually not going to hear from me today teaching. One of our elders here at Fellowship Community Church, his name is Jim Williams, is going to be teaching out of 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue in our sermon series, The Unfinished Church. Now in this, Jim is going to be talking about the unfinished priesthood. Yes, you heard that right, the unfinished priesthood. Many of you probably have never heard this today or ever thought of yourself as a priest, but we're going to be look at, looking at the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 2 to see how that translates into our life, that we are the priesthood of the believers. Well, I hope that this message makes an impact and a difference in your life, and I hope uh, that you would le leave us a rating and review and share this message on social media uh, to your friends and family and how it may, may challenge them, equip them uh, to become more like Jesus. So without further ado, here is Jim Williams in The Unfinished Priest. Well, good morning, North Campus. Hope everybody's staying warm. Temperature dropped just a little bit, didn't it? And uh, it's going to drop just a little bit more through the week, just to encourage you. And if you want more encouragement, I used to live in upstate New York where cold was zero. All right, freezing was 20 below. So right now it's still springtime up there with this kind of weather. But uh, I'm a southern transplant, and so now it's getting cold. Just wanted you to know, well, it's my uh, real honor to be able to uh, bring the message this morning in the absence of our pastor while he's away on a much-needed break. And uh, we certainly appreciate him, and I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, it's kind of hard to always co come together and just say, okay, how are you going to deal with this? Because we're dealing with the unfinished church, right? And so there's several topics that we're looking at. Uh, we, we looked at the unfinished building, right, and being uh, quarried out stones. And then we, we looked at, you know, the unfinished flock. You know, we're sheep, right? And we follow the great shepherd, the good shepherd, Right? And then we then last week we looked at the unfinished bride. All right. That was great and that was wonderful. Now today we go into that topic that everybody knows about, the unfinished priesthood. Right? Now I took a survey when I was trying to prepare for this of how many people had ever heard a full message on the priesthood of the believer. One person. All right. So Maybe you're in the minority and you've heard something, and so you can come up and you can help the rest of us. But what I want to do is rather than try to jump into everything about the priesthood and what that all means is I want to make it very practical for us, especially in these days as a church where we're, where we're preparing our minds to be able to leave this location, go to a new location, and how the impact of the unfinished church and its messages actually impacts our life and the community in which we're going into. Because it's all relevant, all these word pictures, all these titles and everything else that we've been looking at, these are relevant for each and every one of us today, all of it, all right? Nobody is excluded here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, all right? We're all part, we're all uh, quarried out stones. We're all part of the bride. We're all sheep, all right? We're all priests, as we're gonna find out, okay? And then whatever is next week, right? That's what we are as well. Let's hope, okay? Let's hope it all flows like that. I haven't seen the message yet. Maybe it's all different, but we'll find out together. But I, th I think as we uh, approach this and to try to keep it practical for us, I think that every single one of us would, would agree that we live in challenging days and times. Uh, things are not easy. I mean, you know, we, we're coming out of COVID, we're going back into COVID, we're, we're doing this, we're doing that. There's political upheaval, there's, there's government upheaval, there's uh, jobs are stretching Christian principles and values. Uh, 
you know, telling people you have to accept people uh, this way and that way and, and everything else, uh, otherwise you're fired, and on and on it goes. And we're even starting to see minor uh, persecution of the church and Christian values in North America. That would include Canada and Mexico and the United States. So I think it's important for us to understand that we're not alone in this. These are not things that are unusual in cultures and that there was a, a time in, in the Bible where Christians were going through much the same thing that we're doing today. And so one of your favorite disciples decided to write a book. It's called First Peter. And he wrote this book to help recenter the focus of believers who were getting discouraged and were w wondering about what was going on with God and what, you know, does he really even care about us? And, and I think that it was uh, James Moffat, a noted theologian and Greek scholar who wrote, Christians were suffering from the unwelcome attentions of government officials as well as from social annoyances, and they're required to be rallied. The purpose of Peter is to recall them to their resources of their faith. And that is absolutely true. And so this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Peter and we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 as we look at some of the pictures and especially as we look at the picture and the title of the priest, the priesthood, right? So that we can understand a little bit better uh, about how this all relates to us. How is this part of God's appraisal of, of who we are? Let me, let me ask you a question. We, we, we've heard a, a lot about uh, faith and different things, but what about childlike faith? We're told, you know, you need to come like having childlike faith. When we have childlike faith, things start to happen. And I think as you see up on the board, you have this chart that has, here's some different attributes of what a childlike faith might look up. They're, they're curious, they're fearless, they're trusting, they're resilient, they're kind, they're happy, and so forth. And when you look at a child and as they talk to God, and they, another plug for kids' life here, okay? If you want to see some of the best things in your life as far as faith and faith growing, go, go into our children's classrooms and see some of their faith as it grows. We just have that transparency when we're children with, with our Heavenly Father. We can ask Him anything. We can talk to Him as if He's right next to us, right? I mean, it's amazing. Uh, Chuck Swindoll in his uh, book, uh, Living Hope, um, he, he uh, reminded me about a, a book I had seen year, years ago uh, by uh, Adler, and it's simply called, uh, it's Conversations with God, and it's, it's called Dear Lord. All right? And all it is is to see the transitions of little children that they have with their Heavenly Father. Now let me just give you a couple, just so you can see the transparency of what ch children kind of, kind of go through. Uh, here's one. Dear Lord. This is how they all start. Dear Lord. And imagine a little, you know, nine-year-old uh, saying this. I took, took a trip to the Grand Canyon last week. Nice job. <laughs> right? I mean, just great transparency. You know, you know that, that, that was from uh, Sincerely Jake, age nine, right? Here, here's another one. Uh, this is from Sally, age, age seven, your, her, your dear friend Sally, as she puts it. Dear Lord, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. 
transparent. Whether it's the small things or whether it's the big things, just being transparent with our Heavenly Father, right? I mean, we believe that He could do everything and anything. Maybe you've even ex had some of those experiences as a child yourself where you can remember different things. I certainly have in my life. Maybe in, in your life groups, maybe you can share some of those things, that transparency, that faith that, that you had. The challenge is that it seems that as we grow older in age, there seems to be a tendency that our relationship with the Lord grows more distant for some reason. And perhaps uh, our words are more guarded. Perhaps it's because there's fear and guilt that is coming into our life. Over time, the guilt might become disappointment. Well, we may not be able to turn back the clock to our childhood to have that faith, but we can certainly turn back our hearts to the Lord. Because one thing, contrary to some people, God, God is not sitting up in heaven going like this, go ahead, I dare you to do that, I'm going to get you. He's not sitting up there frowning. He's not sitting up there saying, I'll get you for that, right? That's not our God. And yet there are people who believe that. He's not, God is not up there ready to pounce. And we need as never before to get a glimpse of God's pure delight in us. Some of these songs this morning, right? Some of the things we're going to talk about. What is God's appraisal of us? How does he think about us? What can we take away from this that will encourage me in these days in which we are living? Uh, received a newsletter from a former pastor of our church, Bill Fuller. Maybe some of you have gotten that newsletter as well. Just underwent surgery, uh, what was it, Monday the 14th, whatever day that was. Uh, on the 14th, I haven't heard back how, how that went, but uh, in his little newsletter, he, ha he had a paragraph, and I'm going to take either end of it, all right, just to s show you what this is, but why does God make us wait was his question. And in the end, he said, it makes us ask ourselves, is God real? And is he really interested in me, right? If he is really interested in me, why does he make me wait? We get like that. What is God's appraisal of us? Well, this morning, as we go through the unfinished priesthood, I want us to consider uh, three reminders this morning that can actually elevate our love for God and our devotion to God and to other people. So these three reminders are where we want to kind of go and what we want to kind of look at this morning. And so the first reminder that I would have us understand is that God's appraisal of us leaves us with one specific thought. God's appraisal of us leaves us with one specific thought. I think it's important that we understand all that God has done for us. I think it's, uh, it really encourages us when we start to dig into God's Word and we start to write things down that will help us. And so I want to look at just a couple portions of Scripture that are so familiar to us that we've heard them so many times but maybe in the context of being a priest and in the challenging days in which we are residing now, maybe these particular verses will, again, 
spark the interest and the love for what God is doing for us and how he views us and what his appraisal is. Psalm 103. You have your scriptures. You can turn there. But Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All right? Don't forget his benefits. Now the psalmist actually starts to enumerate them and just write these down very quickly or underline them in your scripture or highlight them. He says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame he knows we are but dust. That's God's appraisal of us. How tender, how encouraging. And you can go to Psalm 90, you can go to Psalm 130, and you can see similar things that the psalmist says. But let's go to another portion of Scripture, a couple books over. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, a promise that was given to the nation of Israel, but by way of application, I think it's apropos for us as well, where he says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil to give you a future and a hope. That's our God. He's got plans for you. Do you know that he has plans for you? And he can work those plans out for you. Why? Because he is the God who loves you and has great concern over your life. Go over one more book to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 24. You, you know this one as well. Maybe you can finish it for me, okay? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, right? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Familiar portions of scripture, but when you read them and you read them in the context of the challenges that we face, that we face, they all of a sudden ignite our soul, ignite our spirit. They encourage us along the way to keep on going, to put one more foot forward, to live for him, to know that he loves us, to know that he is concerned for us. And you can go through chapter after chapter, book after book, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and you can find similar passages of what God's appraisal of us is throughout the entire Bible. In fact, it was Paul Tripp in his Wednesday morning devotional that uh, he wrote, God provided you with this gift, the Bible, because he loves you. He is the giver of life, and he isn't just after your mind. He is after 
your heart. His truth is the ecosystem in which the garden of personal transformation grows. God is after your heart, and you can see his heart towards you throughout the scriptures. I think Isaiah 30 verse 18 also puts it very, very pointedly. Therefore, based upon all that went on before this chapter, therefore, Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Because of that, because of all these scriptures and so many more in these challenging days, when I hear these things, I can, be, I can have one overriding thought, and that is simply this. God is for us. <coughs> Say that with me, will you? God is for us. One more time. God is for us. Don't ever forget that. God is for you. These pictures, these titles that we see that we're going through continually remind us how deep God's love is for us and how much he is for us in every respect. Well, not only is God for us, but the second reminder this morning, God's appraisal of us gives us focus in challenging days. It's going to give us focus in the challenging days in which we are facing. And we can see this in the pictures and titles that we have in 1 Peter. These people that were going through similar challenges that we are, these people that were starting to undergo persecution, all of them. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, let me just read it, read it for you. It says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And drop down to verse 9 but you are a chosen race. And understand this, Peter's, after he gives a little doom and gloom for those who rejected Christ, he's saying, but you on the other hand are like this. But you especially, you need to understand, this is not you. Previous, this is you. All right, and he goes on, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, <coughs> but now you have. Realize, received mercy. How good is that? You realize that? Once you did not receive mercy, now you have received mercy. The grace of God is unbelievable in our lives. In this portion of Scripture that we just read, there's, there's no less than five titles, and, and probably you can make a sixth if we go a little bit further, but in, in these five titles, 
Peter tells us that we are living stones. That is, we are ones that have been quarried out. We have been placed into the building, right, into the spiritual house. And one thing I know about uh, buildings and blocks and so forth is that those blocks kind of overlap and they all support the other blocks around them, right? Well, that's you, all right? There are no cast-off blocks in the spiritual house of God, all right? I think some people think that, well, God can never use me, so I'm just one of those chipped off, thrown on the wayside. That's not true at all, right? All of, all of us who know Christ as our Savior, we have been quarried out. We've been placed in the body. We're there supporting other people. We're supporting the structure. If we happen to crack and break a little bit, there's others who are supporting us until we can get repaired. But we're all to one another, right? And I think Pastor Ethan did a wonderful job explaining this whole thing of the living stone and the spiritual building. Then we're a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, right? Big difference, king priesthood, all right? Kind of like Jesus is our high priest, okay, and we're going to get there in a little bit. But we are also a chosen race. We have a common life and descent. We are a holy nation, holy, set apart. We are set apart for God's service. That's what we are. We're set apart for God's service, and in being set apart for God's service, there are multiples of people with a common theme and common nature. One of the great things that I think about as I look at peoples and, and so forth and worshiping God, uh, Revelation talks about from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, we were all around the throne with one common theme. What was it? He is worthy, right? He is worthy. Jesus is worthy. We have a common nature, and it's all about Jesus. And then we are people for God's own possession. Maybe your translation uh, there might have that you are a peculiar person, right? I made the mistake one time of picking somebody up at the airport in Albany, New York, who was going to speak up at a, a Christian camp called Word of Life. And uh, I wasn't given directions as far as what this person looked like. I, would, I was told, you'll probably know him, okay? So I go down to Albany, right? I'm waiting at the airport, and here we see people getting off, and they come, and how did you know it was me? Well, you looked peculiar. <laughs> they did look strange, but that's not what the word means here, all right? Then I had to backtrack, you know, what I meant by peculiar, all right? <laughs> that was fun, all right, because we, <laughs> we had an hour and a half trip for me to do it, <laughs> all right? But yeah, that's not what this word means. The word peculiar here means is that God has encircled you intimately and he has drawn you into himself. All right? You are a prized possession of God. Prized possession. That's kind of what that word means here. And then if you wanted to add a sixth one down in verse uh, 11, it says that you are strangers and aliens, all right, or exiles in this land. This world, folks, is not our home. It is not our home. One of the themes here and pictures that we see in the titles that we see here, though, kind of draws our attention, doesn't it? And that is the word, but you are a holy priesthood. You are a royal priest. All of the connotations that come with that. 
Titles mean a lot, don't they? Congressman, ambassador, president, mister, missus, mother, father, husband, wife, right? They all have meaning, boss, coach, teacher. All those titles mean something. And it kind of tells the person who's telling you their respect for you or what they expect of you, or if you call that, you know, professor in college, you might call him, hey, doc, right? Important, right? You're my teacher. You're, you're the one who's mentoring me in these things, right? And so it, it gives back and forth as far as what it means. But when it comes to priest, oh, my word. Boy, we can get confused, can't we, real quick in all the meanings. Look at the person next to you. Go ahead, just look at them. I mean, you've been looking at me long enough. There's not much here. I haven't changed much, all right? Now, look at them again and say, you're a priest. All right? Now, look at them and use priest as their title, like high priest Katie. How are you? High priest, yeah, right? It, now, that, that makes a good high priest, right? No, I'm not the high priest. <laughs> Have you done that? All right, now do it to the person in front of you. Now, see, everybody's kind of leaning forward. There's nobody in front of me, and the people back there are trying to say, I need to take them, but they're getting here. Yeah, it gets confusing, doesn't it? Priests, we're all priests, and there's a function that goes stand along with that. All of the facets... Now, we understand that Jesus is the high priest, and he has ascended into heaven, having made sacrifice for us. Redemption has been secured for us. And now he is in heaven, Hebrews chapter 4, where he is by the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. He is our high priest. And so we make that assumption. But we also have duties and responsibilities as priests. And maybe we don't know a whole lot about the Old Testament priests and their duties and, and everything else, but we do have throughout Scripture many ideas and so forth that help us to understand in the ordination and in their um, inauguration and in the uh, Malachi chapter 2 where you kind of have the, the false priests, the ones who weren't living up to what the true priests were supposed to be doing. So we have many examples as far as what what a priest should be doing. I think it was John MacArthur in his work actually listed out 10 examples of the priest and the qualities of them through their ordination and their uh, inaugurations and so forth that kind of drew it all together. I certainly can't, can't give you all 10 and expound upon them, but I do want to focus on two uh, this morning. And you're more than happy to get the entire note, note series to get all, all ten, but let me just focus on two. The priests of the Old Testament were chosen. They were elect. They were chosen by God. We are chosen by God. As believers, we have been chosen by God. And I'm not here to get into the debates and so forth, but it is a fact of Scripture that we have been chosen by God even before the foundation of the world began. We have been chosen. And by the way, it's not because of some kind of righteousness that we have that we were chosen to be priests, nor was it because of the righteousness of the tribe of Levi. Have you ever actually 
looked at the tribe of Levi and their qualities in Genesis? Has it ever crossed your mind when you were going through Scripture and you're studying a little bit? It's interesting when you go into Genesis and you look at Levi, right? He was not a good man. Nobody kind of liked him. I mean, he would kill his enemy, enemies. He, he would hobble the cattle of people he didn't like so that they couldn't have a livelihood, right? The tribe of Levi was a cursed tribe, all right? A cursed tribe. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to be a Levite. And yet, who did God choose? Levi, the tribe of Levi, to be priests. And he scattered them throughout the nation, right? So that they could be priests for him. Because God didn't come to save the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance, all right? And some of the qualities that, that existed with, with the priests were there, but first and foremost, they were chosen by God just like you and I are. And secondly, they were messengers of the Lord. That is, they were called to give witness to the gospel, and they were called to uh, let people know who God was. Isn't that our job too? Aren't we proclaimers of the gospel? Are we not proclaimers of the gospel? And it's not simply proclaimers of the gospel, all right, because of uh, we have this gift of evangelism or something, right? The proclaiming of the gospel is by our life and our words. Our life and our words. People see us. I wonder when, when people see you going down the street, have they ever said, now there goes a priest, right? When, when you're in your work, workplace in your cubicle and, and you're talking back and forth to people, do they say, well, you're just like a priest? Kind of doubt that has come up in a normal conversation, right? But nevertheless, our actions should be priestly. Nevertheless, our actions should reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? So that we might win opportunity to speak the truth and to tell people this is who Jesus is. This is why I act the way that I do. This is why I live the way that I do. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. And so even as I think about all the aspects of the priesthood and all of their characteristics... I'm left with a, uh, a thought that is kind of introspective. And that is, because of all these characteristics and because of all the meaning behind the word priest and priesthood, what does it say of my value to God? Well, what it says is that my value to God is incomparable. I can't compare it. You can't compare. God has given us a purpose. He has given us a goal. He has given us life. He has given us a, a joy uh, because we're serving him and we're loving him and we're involved in everything that he has asked us to do. Well, that brings us on to reminder number three. Not only is God for us, not only is God's value of us incomparable, but the third one is God's appraisal of us encourages us to exercise our privilege. Now, this is where we start to get down to the rubber meets the road, the application. You know, this is the part, all right? 
You know, this is the hard part of any message. All right? The, the hard part of any message is to get the application out. Right? Why? Because people don't like to change. All right? So in going through this, I saw a whole lot of things that perhaps needed to change in my life or that I could do better. But the scripture here is very, very clear. There's two purposes. Let me back up just a sec. What was the main purpose of the priest? To, to do what? The main purpose of the priest was to offer sacrifice, right? To offer sacrifice. We bring sacrifice, continually sacrifice, and bring the sacrifice and so forth. Well, well Peter kind of pulls up on that, and he says that we need to offer up spiritual sacrifices in verse 5. We need to offer it up. We need to walk up that ramp that went up to the, to, to the big altar where you would take the sacrifice and you put it on and then it became uh, smelling, a sweet smelling aroma, right? So it needs to be a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. And then we need to have, secondly, we need to be able to proclaim, according to verse 9, to proclaim the excellencies of the one, of God. We need to be able to proclaim that out, show forth the excellencies. And too often, we come to the place where we think, and we heard it twice in this series so far, you're going to hear it a third time today, but we all know Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and verse 2, right? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Reasonable? All of me? Isn't that what we just sang? All right. All of me, Lord, here I am. Take me. Whatever you want to do, take me. Here I am. It's all of me. How many of you have a hard time of saying, here, here, here it is. Give me all of me. It's all of me. Oh, there you go right? We're all kind of in the same boat. What, what does that mean? How can I work that out? And, and we keep hearing all of this, all of me, and it's absolute truth. How do I get there? Did you know that there are at least seven different spiritual sacrifices that we can make as a believer? Seven. You're going to apply them all before the end of the day. <laughs> I don't think so, right? I'm going to give you two at the very end, but two to try to practice, but there are seven spiritual sacrifices. Seven of them. There's a spiritual sacrifice of all of me. We just dealt with that. There's a spiritual sacrifice of praise. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. There is a spiritual sacrifice of doing good. That is doing good things. Right things. Not sinning things. That is our spiritual conduct and our spiritual words. We have the spiritual sacrifice of generous sharing and giving. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul said, I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you had sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. So our gifts, our giving, right, to one another in need, to the ministry of the church. There's also the spiritual sacrifice of the souls of men. Again, Paul said in, in Romans chapter 15, he said, for him it was to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles 
in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Do you hear, hear him connected? Sacrifice, priest, Gentiles, bringing souls to Christ, telling people about Jesus, seeing them come to know Christ. There is also the spiritual sacrifice of agape, love, selfless service to others. Then there is a spiritual sacrifice of prayer. In these last four minutes, I want us to just focus on two. Because maybe you, you haven't attained to every single one of these. Maybe you see some that are a little weak there. Let me give you two that I think help us to get to the others. Just two. One is for you and one is for others. The first one that I want us to get to in our doing of priestly things is I want us to get to the place where we are doing spiritual sacrifices of praise. Lips, somewhat like, like we did today. And I want to encourage you to go to Psalm 103 and Psalm 104, and just those two Psalms alone will give you ample over the next part of the entire month and going into the new year to jot down what God has done for us and who He is and His attributes, because it makes a difference when we start to understand it and live it in our very life. We do priestly things by living out our life every single day. And I can give you a couple examples. We used to live in upstate New York, Chestertown, New York, all right, small community, and uh, worked for an organization called Word of Life, and I was around Christians all day long. On Sunday, around Christians all day long. And I wanted an opportunity to actually get to know the people in the community. I'm an early riser. So I went to a diner. We call it the chicken because it had this big white chicken outside, which is a sign of welcome, all right, much like the pineapple, all right? For those of you who do that kind of thing, not me, I just said it was the chicken. And that's how people understood it. Go to the chicken, all right, and sit around the counter, and you kind of meet the community as they come in. And over the process of not a long time, they started to see a difference. And in that time of just living our life, we were able to see people come to know Christ. We were able to minister to people. Uh, we had an unwed mother who had a premature birth baby under two pounds. All right? Eventually, we saw that little girl come to a VBS and trust Christ as her personal Savior. Saw an old man all right, who was held together like his truck with bailing wire and duct tape, all right, who just in talking realized that he needed Christ. And in the end of that whole process, he, a week before he passed, he had told his wife, I want that, literally, I want that priest at the chicken, all right, to do my funeral, literally. His granddaughter said, that's Pappy's priest, <laughs> all right? I've never forgotten it because it reminded me of our title. Let me bring it closer to home. We were doing, uh, at Burlington, pancake breakfast, right? Or pancake, I guess, breakfast, lunch, whatever it was. We're cleaning up. 
Crystal and Pat are bringing back supplies to the office building. I'm at the office building, kind of putting it all away. Somebody drives up on Saturday morning, all right, sees us outside going in and out and stops the car. This is what they said. And she came from downtown Roanoke. I heard that this is a church that will pray for people, priestly things. Would you pray for me? And then she unloaded her story. And we had the privilege of praying for her. We have people that come in through the doors that see your good works, that see how you act, that see how you welcome, that see how you do all these priestly things that are here today or have trusted Christ because of your actions. These are priestly things that we do. But we can start by having a spirit of praise and thanksgiving before God. And then the second thing is we can have that spiritual sacrifice of prayer. We all know that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. We all know that about intercessory prayer because that's what our high priest is doing right now in heaven, always living to make intercession for us. We can do that now. And here's my challenge to you. Before you leave today, not someone in your life group, but somebody right around you, talk to them and just ask them, how can I pray for you this week? That's all I want you to do. How can I pray for you this week? You say, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm having a great, well, I'm going to pray God continues to give you a good week. That God excites you about his word. Now, what's your name again? <laughs> and jot it down. Next week, do that this week. And next week, look for them. Ask them, are you going to be here next week? If they say, yes, I'm going to be here next week, Lord willing, then you say, next week I'm going to follow up and ask you how you did. Is that simple enough? I mean, look around. I mean, I, everybody looks really good this morning. Some of you are starting to go like this, so it's about time to close. The applicable thought for us is my reasonable sacrifice is all of me, all I have, all my hopes, all my dreams. I start getting there by reciting sacrifices of praise and engaging in sacrifices of prayer. Just try it. Start being priestly. And call one another priest for about a week or two. Just start with that title when you talk to your spouse or significant other or whomever. Just start there. Right? If they don't hit you, you're in you're doing good, right? But just do it. Try it. See what happens. Father, we thank you for your grace in our life. We thank you for who you are. You are indeed our high priest. And Lord, we're, we're certainly not finished. There's still more work that needs to be done in our lives. And we are so thankful for the work that you're already doing. We thank you for this series, The Unfinished Church. We thank you that we're part of the spiritual house we're quarried out stones. We thank you that we are our sheep following the great shepherd. We thank you that we are the bride of Christ. We look forward to the groom's soon return. Lord, we thank you that you've included us in the priesthood, the royal priesthood. Lord, what, what a privilege, what an honor. May we do priestly things. May we offer sacrifices of praise. And Lord, I pray, I pray that in these challenging, difficult days, that we as a people would remember that you 
our God, our Lord, are for us. And may it change our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.